Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me. I can't wait to get into the story of one of the most, one of the biggest military accomplishments in Britain, in British history. This this battle that we're going to talk about, the Battle of Inverlochy, was truly astounding in how it came came about, how it was pulled off. Before I get into that, though, let me just mention a couple of things. Um, I've got the online course on the origins of the Scottish clans available at scottish-clans.com forward slash origins. It's like a mini college course that you can take on how the Scottish clans came about. I've, it's kind of a labor of love that I've had. I've put a lot of effort into it. You can get as academic and nerdy with it as you want. You can be kind of casual, or you can get neck deep into the lectures that I have visual aids to and videos that I've recorded on that. You can I've got scholarly reading assignments you can dig into, as well as some suggestions if you want to push it all the way and make it like a no-kidding college course, some suggestions on writing ideas if you wanted to to um, make a write an essay on things that you've learned and take a standpoint maybe you agree with me maybe you don't but i facilitated you with the knowledge that you can at least have a well-founded and educated opinion on the matter so there you go that's at scottish-clans.com forward slash origins another thing i might mention that if you have received something from these podcast episodes that you've find value in, and they've been educational for you as well as maybe even enjoyable, you can contribute to the cause at scottish-clans.com forward slash team. And if you just want to go to scottish-clans.com, I've got other links to resources on there that you can dig into, free stuff on there. It doesn't cost you a dime. I'm I'm just glad to have more and more people becoming part of this conversation. The more people that we can get into this, the better. If you ever want to reach out to me individually, you can do that at thescottishclans at gmail.com, or you can go participate in the discussion at the Scottish Clans Facebook group, not the page, the group. I tried to delete the page so people don't get them confused, and uh, the instructional video I found on YouTube looked different than what I was looking up, so that's still in the effort, but... Go to, the, go to the group, and there's some great discussions on there, and you can get involved there as well. Some really cool people on there with some really... And not everybody agrees with each other, and that's okay because everybody's just taking the things that they've learned, which is quite a lot, and you can there's value in, in that discussion, even if not everybody's on the same page. Now, I would like to get into sharing this story with you, the Battle of Inverlochy. It's a really cool story, and I'm taking my account of this from Clan King and Covenant, History of the Scottish Clans from the Civil War to the Glencoe Massacre. It's written by John L. Roberts. This book, with along with another book he wrote, Feuds, Forays, and Rebellions, is quoted often in Wikipedia articles that um, are pertaining to this time period. It's uh, the historical context of the Battle of Inverlochy, as we're talking about the Scottish Civil War. You've got on the one side the Covenanters, who have signed a national covenant that this is going to be their religion, and and actually some the leading factions of this were pretty extreme, but they're just taking their beliefs all the way to the end. They're represented militarily by the, is he a Marquis by this point? The Marquis of Argyle? Anyway, it was the Earl of Argyle. He's been promoted since then. He's received a higher a higher title than Earl. Um, anyway, he's he's representing the military the military head of the forces of the Covenanters. Um, they're Presbyterians, which kind of puts them a little bit at odds with some of the uh, Episcopal factions down farther south in England. But still, it puts them very much at odds with Charles I, who is a devout Catholic, and 
did not inherit his father, James VI of Scotland, the first of England, did not inherit his father's political or social um, aptitude. And so he, but, but like his dad, he believes in the divine right of kings, and if the king says so, that's just the way it is. And when it comes, to, when you start to do that with religion and you start shoving it down people's throat, there's the Book of Common Prayer that was a, a hot topic and did not go over well in Scotland. So you have this rebellion. But even those who did not agree with Charles I's politics or religious views, but still believed that now we still shouldn't just kill kings. So, and along with everybody who did agree with everything that Charles I said, that comprises this group we call the Royalists. So you have the Royalists on one side, the Covenanters on the other side, the guy leading the military might of the Covenanters, like I said, is Archibald Campbell. He is the 8th Earl and 1st Marquess. So there, I, I pinned it down a little bit more specific. 8th um, Earl, 1st Marquess of Argyle, the chief of all the Campbells, which are many. The branches, the, the Campbells are so big that their branches are be, have become by this point their own clans, basically, but they still acknowledge the Earl slash Marquess of Argyle as their supreme chief over all the Campbells. On the other side, you had the Marquess of Montrose, who originally was a Covenanter, and he switched sides. I won't go into a ton of detail on that, but it's all in this book here. And really, so he was able to draw upon some lowland uh, forces, but also a lot of his support came from the highlands. He himself, in battle, commanded men from Athol, and we can, we can get into what clans those were later. But he also received military help from the Earl of Antrim, Randall MacDonnell, who contributed to the cause, and this was probably the best thing he possibly could have done. He sent in Alastair McCullough MacDonnell, who was a kinsman of his in the leading circles in the leadership of Clan Donald. And Alistair McCullough, who was from, I believe, Collinsey, he jumped into the cause at the head of MacDonald forces, not just MacDonald, but uh, a bunch of Irish troops too that he'd already been commanding with the help of some Northern Irish commanders like Manus O'Kean. So you have these two joining up forces with the Marquis of Montreux, bringing forces from Ireland who have been who are seasoned, have had experience in wars on the continent in Europe. In Europe, so they're not just a bunch of like sometimes they get painted these wild gales who just run screaming into battle in the free for all. No, these are disciplined, experienced troops who did some damage on the battlefield, knew what they were doing, and did it well. That's who they're bringing in. Both the Marquis of Montrose and Alistair McCullough are known for being tactically brilliant. And even though Marquis, the Marquis of Montrose is at the head of the royalist forces, he would never have been what he became and never would have had the victories that he had without Alistair McCullough McDonnell. So, and there's been songs about, about him. That's how I was actually introduced to him as a figure was through Clannad, which is Enya's brother, sister, and twin uncles. They're from Donegal, Gales. Anyway, uh, th those are the two sides that we see facing off in here. So when I, I wanted to give you a little background, so when I come across their names, you know what I'm saying. Let me start. I'm going to start out of this book um, on page 64, and we'll, uh, I'll be pausing throughout to share additional insights or thoughts. So, quote, After meeting up with his other commanders at Glassery, south of Lacaw, Montrose started to withdraw north with his army laden with plunder. However... 
he was soon forced to halt on the shores, the southern shores of Loch Eddiv, where there were no boats, reviving his worst fears about campaigning in a country divided by sea locks and firths, like the teeth of a comb. Fortunately, Campbell of Ardcatton on the far shore was married to a MacDonald, and he provided boats for the crossing, hoping no doubt to save his lands from plunder. The great herds of cattle were forced to swim across the narrow loch, but the ebbing tide carried away some animals to the coast at Dunstaffnage Castle, where they were retrieved by its Campbell garrison. Montrose then crossed the hills from the head of Loch Creran to reach Balachulish by way of Glen and Hia. Facing the same difficulties as previously, enough boats were eventually found to allow his forces to cross Loch Leven. By now, Montrose, Montrose had reached friendly country for the first time since leaving Athol, and his ranks were joined by 150 stewards of Appin, but few others. Montrose rested his men at Inverlochy, where Sir Lachlan Maclean of Duart and several other leading Macleans arrived in his camp, and Angus MacDonald of Glengarry joined his own clansmen. Montrose then continued north along the Great Glen to reach Kilcumen at the head of Loch Ness towards the end of January 1645. Kilcumen would later be called Fort Augustus in honor of William Augustus, Duke of Cumberland, the victory at Culloden. It was a good enough place for Montrose to observe the movements of his enemies, since it allowed a means of escape east into Badenoch by way of the Corieric Pass or west to the sea by way of Glengarry or Glenmoriston. Indeed, the Covenanters were once again gathering their armies to oppose Montrose. The immediate threat came from the north, where George Mackenzie, 2nd Earl of Seaforth, had been pressed into command of a covenanting army of around 5,000 men. Two of its regiments came from the army that had pursued Montrose through the highlands after his victory at Aberdeen in September 1644. Otherwise, it consisted of raw recruits raised by the Earl of Sutherland from Ross and Murray, as well as contingents from the Frasers, the Rosses, and the Monroes. Montrose was about to march north against this army as it advanced south from Inverness along Loch Ness when he received a message from Alan Du Cameron of Loch Hill that the Marquess of Argyle had arrived at Inverlochy Castle with a sizable army. Tradition has it that the messenger was none other than Ian Lom MacDonald, renowned as the bard to the MacDonalds of Keppoch, whose magnificent Gaelic poetry chronicles the events that affected Scotland during his lifetime, ending only with the Union of Parliaments in 1707. A council of war was hastily summoned, consisting of Montrose's chief lieutenants, among whom were Alastair MacDonald, Donald Glass MacDonald of Keppoch, Angus MacDonald of Glengarry, John MacDonald of Clan Ranald, Sir Lachlan MacLean of Duart, Murdoch MacLean of Loch Bui, Duncan Stewart of Appen, Donald Cameron, Tudor of Loch Hill, Donald Robertson, Tudor of Struan, and Patrick Roy MacGregor of that ilk. I kind of messed up that. Patrick Roy MacGregor of that ilk. Given the threat to the lands of Keppoch, Loch Hill, Glengarry, and Clan Ranald, among others, Montrose had little choice but to attack Argyle as his first priority. Okay, I'm going to pause on the quote real quick. I just want to point out the the in, the participants here on a clan level, all right? Now, we can't always assume that just because one member of the clan, not even the chief, that was there, that the whole clan was there, but I do think in this case it does apply, that kind of logic. So on opposing Montrose on the northeast of the Great Glen, on the Inverness end, on the northeast, it uh, we have George Mackenzie, the Earl of Seaforth. So we have Mackenzie's up there. We also have, it doesn't say clans, it says 
raw recruits raised by the Earl of Sutherland from Ross and Murray, as well as contingents from the Frasers, Rosses, and Monroes. And then we also learn about Montrose's chief lieutenants, who probably represent the head of their clans that they have with them with Montrose. So that would be the McDonald's of Keppoch, Glengarry, Clan Ronald, as well as the McLeans of Duart and Lochbuie, the Stuarts of Appin, the Camerons, uh, the Robertsons of Struan, and the McGregors. Now, I want to do uh, just a quick note on when it says D- Donald Cameron Tudor of Lochiel and Donald Robertson Tudor of Struan. What that means is that the tutor is not necessarily tutor in an educational sense. It's, it's the somebody that the chief has put as a guardian over his up-and-coming. So the up-and-coming person who's probably going to be the next chief, he would be referred to as like the master of Struan or the master of Lochiel. Then the tutor would be the person that the, the current chief put as the guardian to look after his successor. Okay, so we know, so we've got an idea of some of the clans that are involved. Let's continue reading about how the story plays out. Argyle had returned to Edinburgh in late November 1644 from his fruitless campaign against Montrose in the northeast Scotland. He was then replaced by Lieutenant General William Bailey as commander-in-chief of the Army of the Covenant in Scotland while remaining in command of Argyleshire and the Isles. Argyle then returned to Inverary, leaving Edinburgh by 13 December 1644. There, he learnt soon afterwards that Montrose was even then marching west from Athol to invade his own territories. Only a few days later, Argyle was forced to escape down Loch Fyne by galley after Montrose had started to advance south from the head of Loch Awe towards Inverary, as already recorded. Staying to defy Montrose might have been the braver course, but besieged in Inverary Castle, Argyle could not muster the forces needed to defeat Montrose, nor could he offer to help defend his demoralized and defeated clansmen. So that's, I'm going to pause on the quote there. He's is jumping back in time a little bit, talking about some of the events leading up to. So Montrose and his army had gone through Argyleshire. The MacDonald component of Montrose's army took this op- as an opportunity to just lay scunion through Argyle to take take out on the McDonald there the Campbells the Campbells had had increased significantly in territory at the expense of the McDonald's McDonald's have a lot of reasons to have a grudge against the Campbells right here and they just give vent to it as they move through their territory back into the story here quote meanwhile the news of Montrose's invasion of Argyle had reached Edinburgh by 20 December 1644 when Lieutenant General William Bailey was ordered to take action. Bailey was a professional soldier with much experience in the Thirty Years' War. He had been recalled from England after Argyle's failure to defeat Montrose's army, especially at Fivey. But instead of pursuing Montrose through Breadalbin, William Bailey decided to follow a more southerly and safer route, marching his men west by way of Dumbarton to reach Ross Neath in early January 1645. There he met Argyle, who persuaded him to return to Perth with most of his army. By then, Argyle had learnt that Montrose was retreating north. He did not want his own territories restored to him by Bailey and a lowland army, which would effectively destroy his reputation in the Highlands after his humiliating flight from Inverary. Instead, he would defeat the rebels himself. However, he took the precaution of retaining 1,100 of Bailey's best infantry for the purpose, while he recalled Sir Duncan Campbell of Auchenbreck from Ulster, along with most of his regiment. 
The news must have pleased the Irish Confederates in Kilkenny. As already noted, their main interest in supplying Alistair MacDonald with enough forces to wage a campaign in Scotland was to achieve just such a withdrawal of the Scots' army of the Covenant in Ulster, which they were still fighting. Together with his own levies, Argyll now had around 3,000 men under his command. He marched north by way of Castle Stalker, reaching Inverlochy nine days later on 31 January 1645. While the captain of Dunstaffnish Castle was ordered to send him ammunition and other supplies by boat to Inverlochy with utmost urgency. Okay, pause on the quote. So we see this is all, all we're doing, just to kind of sum that up for you, is we've seen that George Mackenzie, the Earl of Seaforth, and his forces on the, on the, they're on the northeast end of the Great Glen, near Edinburgh. Montrose and his forces at Kilcummon, which is kind of in the middle of the Great Glen, and now we see him kind of penned in by Argyle and his forces that have come up to Inverlochy, and now they're so you got Argyle and his troops on one end of the glen, and George Mackenzie and his troops on the other end of the glen, and Montrose and his forces in the middle. And they have to they have to move fast. And just remember, just to kind of make it so it's just not dry reading. The so Montrose's initial impulse was to attack northeast against the Mackenzies. However, most of the men that he's fighting with at the time are coming from the end of the Great Glen where Argyle is now. And so if they don't do anything, Argyle might just go through and repay what they did in Argyle. Remember, they went through and just just pillaged and plundered and just wrecked shop all the way through Argyle. Well, so he might decide to get him back and just lay waste to Lochaber and all those surrounding territories on that end of the Great Glen, which is the home territory of a lot of these guys that are fighting for Montrose, which is why he doesn't push northeast and attack Mackenzie and his crew that way. Instead, he turns around and he's got to address Argyle instead. That's his highest priority. All right. Now we're going to get back into the text here. And this is where the truly amazing feat of military accomplishment happens. And as a guy who has done some marching in my time, some military context marching uh, and over distances with weight on my back, I can really appreciate with what these troops did here and how hard it would have been. And I have never done anything that I would say was this hard. I don't know how much, how heavy their load was going over this, but it was a lot, it was a big distance in a very short period of time. So let me, let me get to the, the cool part of the story here. Quote, the very same morning Montrose began his flanking march towards Inverlochy regarded as one of the greatest exploits in the history of British arms, to quote John Buchan. The decision to march from Kilcummon across the mountains to Glen Spean in the depths of winter was perhaps forced upon him. By advancing directly to the southwest along the Great Glen towards Inverlochy, Montrose would have given Argyle early warning of his approach and plenty of time to deploy his own forces. Indeed, Montrose's army could easily have been ambushed before it left the narrow confines of the Great Glen, especially along the steep shores of Loch Oich, or Loch Lochy, or as it emerged at the foot of Glen Spean. By entering Glen Tarf and then turning southwest at Cullachy to march parallel to the Great Glen, Montrose's army was hidden, first by the long ridge of Mel Acholoman and then Drumlarigan before reaching the head of Glen Buck above Abercalder. 
Guards were posted to watch the army's rear at Kulahi, Kulahi and its flank at Abercalder. Montrose then marched up Glenbuck to the valley of Alt-Nalarich, which he then followed with his men to reach the broad summit of the pass at well over 2,000 feet overlooking the steep slopes of Glen Turret and its headwaters to the south. Even though the winter was mild, his men struggled through deep snow and waded waist-deep through the cold waters of rivers in full spate. Descending into Glen Turret, Montrose and his army then gained the lower ground at the head of Glen Roy, along which he marched the many miles to Keppoch at its foot, perhaps camping out overnight on the way. Certainly, by the evening of 1 February 1645, he had forded the river Spine, and then keeping to the higher ground of Lenachan at the foot of the Mamors, east of the Great Glen, he reached a position overlooking Inverlochy Castle across what became known as Acha Achaha, or the field of battle. He had achieved almost complete surprise. Approaching Inverlochy, he had sent ahead raiding parties, but it seems likely that this tactic was deliberate. Indeed, they had encountered Campbell scouts, who were forced to retreat before they became aware of Montrose's real strength. I'm going to pause on the quote here real quick. I did actually get on Google Maps and follow, follow the route that that just described there. So if you ever want to do this, you could replay this episode just a little chunk at a time and follow the route exactly that Montrose and his forces took. Quite an accomplishment. Getting back into it here, though. Quote, by any account, marching nearly 40 miles across rugged terrain in the depths of winter was a remarkable achievement, accomplished in two short days, separated by a long winter's night. Montrose perhaps only undertook it, undertook it in a desperate attempt to rescue his own reputation as a military leader. Bitterly aware that he had hesitated to invade Argyle only two months earlier, Montrose may well have wanted to show Alistair MacDonald and his other lieutenants that he would trump their own feats of arms. His retreat north to Kilcumman had drawn Argyle into a trap, deliberately or not, and now was the time to spring it. But equally, Montrose could not have achieved what he did without the gale. Quote, the men who did all the service, unquote, to quote Neil McVerich. And we do not even know what contribution Alistair MacDonald and his other lieutenants made to his plan of campaign. Tired, wet, and hungry, Montrose's troops stood to arms until dawn on the morning of 2 February 1645. And it says much for their stamina and morale that they were now to fight the battle that gave Montrose perhaps his greatest victory. The Battle of Inverlochy. Since the Marquis of Argyle had suffered an injury in falling from his horse, he retired for the night to his galley, lying offshore in Loch Linny, while giving command of his army to Sir Duncan Campbell of Auchenbreck. Amid some confusion, Auchenbreck drew up his forces in a battle line so that his left wing rested on Inverlochy Castle, facing up the Great Glen. The two wings consisted of lowland infantry armed with muskets, with only a few cavalry. The center of the line was formed by the Campbells and their Highland allies, among whom were the Laments of Cowell and the McDougals of Dunolly, armed with muskets, swords, bows, and axes, and supported by two small cannon. Montrose's army faced the Campbell forces with two of the Irish regiments, making up its wings, commanded by Manus O'Kean on the left and Alistair MacDonald on the right. The Highland clansmen in the center formed up in three separate lines lying behind one another. 
the Stewards of Athol and Appen, the McDonald's of Glencoe, and the men of Lochaber made up the front line, commanded by Montrose himself. The McDonald's of Clan Ranald and Glengarry, supported by the Maclean chiefs, or so it was said, were the next in line, and the 3rd Regiment of Irish troops made up their rear. Accounts of the battle are confused, but it seems that Manus O'Kayan, closely followed by Alastair MacDonald, first charged the lowland infantry on the opposite wings of Argyle's army. Others had been given for the orders had been given for the Irish troops not to fire their muskets until they are almost upon the enemy, employing the tactic now known as the Highland Charge. After firing a single volley, they then threw down their muskets to engage the enemy in close hand-to-hand fighting with their swords. Such a determined attack caused panic among the lowland troops, who broke ranks almost immediately to flee the battlefield. It left the Campbell forces in the center desperately exposed to attacks on their flanks by the triumphant Irish. Meanwhile, the Campbell forces had already attacked in the center as men that deserved to fight in a better cause, as Montrose later commented. However, Montrose pressed forward his own charge in the center with a single volley of musket fire, coming immediately to push of pike and dint of sword after this first firing. The casualties inflicted upon the Campbell suggest that fierce fighting raged for some time until they were driven back with such strength and fury that their front line collapsed and the lines behind were thrown into utter confusion. Battle turned to rout as the Campbells fled the field for the safety of Inverlochy Castle or south towards the foot of Glen Nevis and beyond, pursued by their victorious enemies. The losses sustained by Argyle's army at the Battle of Inverlochy may well have amounted to 1,500 men, or half its total strength. Apart from those killed on the battlefield, many were cut down as they tried to escape, or drowned as they attempted to cross the River Nevis, especially where it enters the sea. 200 Campbells, who had taken refuge in Inverlochy Castle, were put to the sword, even if the lives of any lowlanders found among them were spared. Nothing could stop the fury of Clan Donald against their hereditary enemies. Several families among the Campbells were virtually wiped out. They, quote, slew my father and my husband, three fine young sons, my four brothers, hewn asunder, and my nine comely foster brothers, unquote. The widow of Duncan Campbell of Glenfechan lamented afterwards. According to tradition, Sir Duncan Campbell of Auchenbreck was captured and then summarily, summarily executed by Alastair MacDonald. Many leading Campbells were killed in the battle, and many others were captured. Their lives were spared, since such, quote, men of quality could be ransomed or used in exchange of prisoners. Other prisoners were spared as long as they were not Campbells, but only if they agreed to serve in Montrose's army. Flight of Argyle. Watching the battle from his galley, Archibald Campbell, Archibald Campbell, first Marquis of Argyle, had seen the utter defeat of his army. Now he fled along the coast to Dunstaffnage Castle, where Cola Kittach and Alastair MacDonald's two brothers were still held prisoner. Pause on the quote real quick. Cola Kittach, Alastair Macola. This Cola Kittach is Alastair's dad. So Alastair Macola, his dad and his two brothers are held prisoner at Dunstaffnage. Um, Kittach, C-I-O-T-A-C-H is how it's spelled in this book, is referring to him being left-handed. All right, so Alastair McCullough's dad, left-hander, lefty. Uh, as any of you who follow any fight sports know that that, as well as baseball and maybe a few others, 
know that that presents certain challenges to somebody who's used to fading, facing right-handed opponents. Because that's not true for the left-hander because he's always used to facing people who are not the way he stands. Anyway, back to the quote. They were brought for greater safety to Dumbarton Castle, perhaps conveyed there in Argyle's own galley, while he returned to Edinburgh on 12 February 1645, lamenting the loss of his kith and kin, but more especially his honor. Indeed, he would never again enjoy his former power and influence over the Highland clans, nor in the councils of the Covenanters. His downfall was celebrated in a great outpouring of Gallic poetry, especially by Ian Lom MacDonald, whose savage verses exult in the slaughter of the Campbells and their allies at Inverlochy, while lauding the heroic deeds of Clan Donald under the leadership of Alistair Macola Kittach MacDonald. Even if Montrose was fighting for his king, the intensity of feeling expressed by Ian Lom's poetry leaves little doubt that the Highlanders in the Highlanders in Montrose's army were engaged in a civil war against their fellow Gales with all the bitterness that such an internecine struggle implies, unquote. So there not only is an account of the battle, but how the battle came to be, the movement of the forces into position for the battle, the battle itself and the ramifications afterwards, especially as it pertains to Archibald Campbell, the first Marquess of Argyle. His, his power and influence were shattered at the Battle of Inverlochy. And the Highlanders that were under Montrose scored one of their... This is one of Montrose's greatest victories. Now, it's not going to be his only one. He's going to go on to other victories. And that actually leads me to something I told you I would say, I would mention as I got to the end. What is our follow-on episode going to be on? You, you notice in the telling of the Battle of Inverlochy that you have something occurred, a, a military tactic that was referred to as the Highland Charge. Some of you who have studied the history of the Highlanders before, this isn't your first time hearing this because it's fairly famous, but if you're new to the subject of Highland history or to military tactics, then this might be new for you. In the next episode, I am going to explain exactly what a Highland charge was, what qualified it as such, what were its defining features, and I'm going to answer the question, what clans do we know engaged in a Highland charge? Now, the answer to that is going to span not just one or two campaigns. It's going to involve the one that we're talking about here in the Scottish Civil War, it's also going to involve the Jacobite rebellions. There's several of those. You're going to have the Battle of Killiecrankie in 1689. And then you're going to push forward into the early 1700s and culminating in 1746, the Battle of Culloden, which also saw a disastrous Highland charge. And those of you who know, you know which side it was disastrous for. But there was a Highland charge, not quite well as executed as some of the earlier ones which probably mattered a ton, but we're going to talk about that. What was a Highland charge and which clans partook in it, at least as far as we can tell. I'm not going to be able to get an exhaustive answer for that, but definitely there's going to be something to take a big bite out of and chew on for a while if you're wondering whether your ancestors ever took part in a Highland charge. Um, thank you so much for joining me for this story. If this has been good for you to listen to, if you enjoyed this, 
then I would recommend or invite you to reach out, share not only this episode, but this podcast with somebody that you think like, oh, I know so-and-so, they are they would eat this up. There's so many people out there who are way interested in their Scottish ancestry and are just craving more content to consume that will help them understand that subject better. Not just Scottish history, but specifically the Scottish clans. If you know somebody who has a Scottish last name, you know, it. perhaps it begins with Mac. Now, there's a bunch of Irish names that begin with Mac, too, but, uh, but we'll reach out to them. Uh, maybe a lot, there's a lot of other really prominent Scottish names that don't start with Mac, like Campbell, like Cameron, like Gordon. So go ahead and uh, if you know anybody like that, reach out and share this episode with them. If you have something to ask me about personally, go ahead and go over to Scottish-Clans. Sorry, that's the website, thescottishclans at gmail.com. That's how if you want to engage me personally, individually. If you want to get involved with some really good discussions on the history of the Scottish clans, like I mentioned at the beginning, go to the Facebook group, just called Scottish clans. Make sure it's the group, not the page, while I try to figure out how to get rid of the page so we don't have any confusion on that. Um, I mentioned the online course at the beginning. If you have um, a desire to support the effort here by reaching out and contributing to the cause financially, even if it's just a few dollars, it does accumulate. It does make a difference, I promise. And for a, a certain contribution, you will be able to give me a recommendation of something that you want to talk about. Now, for those of you who've been with me for a long time, I used to have a gigantic list of recommendations, and I got to a lot of them, but I haven't got to all of them. And I don't know, well, I don't use the same platform I've made that list on anymore. And I use I use a Mac, and it, there's some things there. So if if you put if you you know for sure that I once upon a time had your recommendation on there, or your request for your clan, and I haven't done it, it's not because I don't like you. So go ahead, reach out to me to that email I just gave you thescottishclans at gmail.com. Make your recommendation. But if you make a monetary contribution, even if it's just a few dollars, I guarantee you go to the front of the line for your, your, uh, your request for me to do an episode on your clan. So go to the Scottish dash, not the Scottish, scottish-clans.com forward slash team and you can make a contribution there you can scan a qr code and do it by venmo or you can go to patreon and become a subscriber either way every little bit counts and i sure appreciate it Um, in the meantime stay tuned for this next episode on the highland charge marsh and leave and drastic